In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello, and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and this series is in cooperation with Cinda Virtual, which brings you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. Now, you can learn more about Cinda on www.cinda.org, but we just don't bring you thought leaders from all over the world. We also have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to the series, Let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition, and the connected world as having on our organizations and what impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, digital transition, and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance and business values and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please listen to us live every Tuesday, 3 p.m. And if you miss us live, don't worry about it because we are on every major podcast platform from Apple to Google to Spotify to Stitcher. You can find us all over the web. And I also invite you to connect with me and tell me what you'd like to hear on this show. Please send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or connect with me on my website, Leadership beyondborders.net. Now, if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we'll make sure that you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. And today we're going to talk about a very, very important subject that really, really lies on my heart. And um, I'm going to start out by, by saying in Germany, they have the Umweltbundesamt, and the Umweltbundesamt in Germany talks about the new green economy. And the Bundesamt claims that the present economic system is destroying our natural resources with the result of eroding the prosperity of future generations. They say that business as usual in industrialized countries are resource intensive And with emerging companies following suit, it is not a feasible course for the future, which is why a transformation to a green economy must take place. But this is what Germany is saying. But what is the rest of the world saying? Are other countries following suit? What about the U.S., one of the biggest world's economy? Are they following suit or leading the way? Is a new model of economic development with positive connections between ecology and economics emerging? In this episode, we talk with an expert on this subject and explore what is going on worldwide, but what is also going on in the U.S. Now, our guest today is Bob Keefe, and he is the executive director of E2. And E2 is a group of environmental entrepreneurs. It is a national nonpartisan group of business leaders, investors, and professionals from every sector of the economy who advocate for smart policies that are good for both the economy and the environment. He is also the author 
of Climatonomics. And this book is available on Amazon, Climatonomics, Washington, Wall Street, and the Economic Battle to Save the Planet. And you can find that not only on Amazon, but also on its own website, www.climatonomicsbook.com. Now, going back to E2, E2 has 10,000 members and supporters and do work in every state in the country in the U.S., now, Bob speaks regularly about the economic benefits of smart environmental policies, the clean energy economy, jobs related to these issues, and is widely quoted in publications nationwide. And prior to joining E2 in 2011, Bob spent more than 20 years as a political business and environmental journalist. So, Bob, welcome to the show. Kimberly, thank you for having me on. Okay, so let's just start. You were a journalist, okay? You were a political business and from and then you've you've really kind of taken the step to to focusing on being an environmentalist. How did this transition happen? Well, a, a couple of reasons, Kimberly, and thank you for that. Uh, first of all, after twenty plus years as a journalist, I still wanted to continue to do some public good or try to do some public good. Uh, and I had three daughters to worry about. So I like to say the reason I do what I do is because of Delaney, Grace, and Carly, my three daughters, and the place that we have to leave them. But one of the things that I realized over my time covering technology, covering business, covering politics in Washington, uh, was the impacts and the importance of business voices to policy change, Kimberly. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's nothing that politicians love more than talking about jobs, talking about economic growth, and maybe before COVID, kissing babies. Uh, and <laughs> yep. business voices resonate with lawmakers in ways that other uh, voices may not. And so when I joined E2 Environmental Entrepreneurs, one of the reasons was because I knew that we could do more to harness business voices for change. Mm-hmm. And so t- um, tell me a little bit about the E2, okay, because it, it, it's yeah. a group of, of business people, entrepreneurs. Um, what what do you, exactly do you do? How do you raise attention? You bet. Well, we got our start 20 plus years ago in California, Kimberly, working on what then was the first ever greenhouse gas standards for uh, vehicles. And at the time, we had um, petroleum companies, we had automakers coming into the state of California, and that was considering putting uh, limits on tailpipe emissions from vehicles. And those companies were saying, hey, if you do this, California, it's going to kill our economy. It's going to kill our businesses. California is going to go to hell in a handbasket, flow down in the Pacific, uh, and it's going to ruin everything. Well, our founders came out of Silicon Valley. Again, this was 20 plus years ago and realized that Smart policy can actually drive innovation. Smart policy can drive economic growth. Uh, And by the way, it's probably a good idea to clean up the air in a place like California Mm -hmm. in the United States uh, if we care about beaches and tourism and everything else. So we got our start doing that, um, as I mentioned, 20 20 years ago, 20 years ago this month, actually. And since then, E2 has grown to nine chapters across the United States. We have a few members internationally as well. But the, uh, the common thread that runs uh, amongst our members and supporters is that 
They are business people that realize that the economy and the environment are not at odds, Kimberly, but uh, we can't have a good environment without a good economy and vice versa. We can't have a good economy without a good environment. Mm-hmm. And, and and your colleagues in E2, they come from all different business sectors? Um, that's, that's right. That's, that's right. We have members that uh, run the gamut of the economy from uh, major investors to real estate uh, uh, folks to clean energy uh, uh, CEOs to restaurateurs and mom and pop uh, retailers. Wow. Okay. That does, and, and you said you do have some international members. We have some international members. We have members in Canada and Europe. Uh, and, you know, we've done work, for instance, uh, uh, I've taken business people to, to talk about the business implications of climate policy to climate summits in Paris and Rio and other parts of the world mm-hmm. um, and bring their perspective really to the importance of policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Bob, just I'm going to come back to the economy and, and the mm-hmm. link between the economy and the environment in a minute. But but I just want to just just ask one more thing about you. So you're it you're you're general director there, and you wrote the book Climate Nomics. Okay. Mm-hmm. What what kind of triggered you to to get this book out there and write this book? Right. Well, as you mentioned, and we, we spoke about, I spent a lot of times a lot of time as a journalist. And Kimberly, I realized that there was a story that frankly just wasn't being told. Uh, and it's the story of the economics of climate change, both the economic costs of climate change and the economic benefits of climate action. You know, we spent a lot of time focusing on climate change as an environmental issue, as a social issue, as a health issue. It's all of those things, of course. But now it's also a serious economic issue, uh, and it's one that's impacting businesses and consumers in every corner of this globe. Mm-hmm. And and why do you think, uh, Bob, that you know we what you're saying is exactly right? Um, and before we talk about the economics of climate change, why do we focus always on the on the social or the health or or the other reasons? It's it seems like you're right. Nobody really talks about the economics of it. Well, absolutely. Um, and obviously, it's important to focus on all those other issues when people are dying from heat stroke and climate disasters, uh, and we're ruining the environment that we rely on. It's important also to realize it's an economic issue because, uh, and, and again, one of the reasons I wrote the book, Kimberly, it's important to recognize that it's an economic issue as well. Because when things become an economic issue, when things become a pocketbook issue, people act like they might not have acted before. And when I say people, I mean lawmakers, I mean business leaders, I mean individuals. Um, and there's no doubt now that climate change is, is uh, a serious economic issue. Mm-hmm. And and the members of E2, so in this, in getting these voices out, okay, mm-hmm. they're the ones are, you know, you as well as your book, and these people are trying to, to, to make lawmakers aware that it's not just a social issue, it's not just a health issue, um, to help them make aware of the economics behind it. That that's right, that's right. I'll give you I'll, I'll give you a few examples. Um, we have a, a member who runs a food business in the state of Oregon in the United States. Uh, now, Oregon last year, you may have 
you may remember, faced incredible uh, an incredible heat wave. They had heat that uh, temperatures that were 115 degrees Fahrenheit in some parts of that state in what is one of what has traditionally been one of the or historically been one of the most temperate climates in the United States. Oregon isn't built for that, nor are the companies that that are there. So our member had to shut down his his uh, food uh, distribution facilities because his workers simply couldn't come to work. It was too hot to be in the mm. buildings. Uh, and then when he finally got it up and running, they started sending the trucks out on the road, but the trucks had to be diverted and detoured because there were too many fires. Uh, that's an economic cost. Mm-hmm. Look at what happened in the Bay Area of California a couple of weeks ago. Temperatures uh, rose over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, a BART train, a, a, a local commuter train derailed because the rails got too hot. Fortunately, there were no major injuries or lives lost, but guess what? We have to repair that. Those people that were going to work on that train had to find a new way to get there. Um, and they said, and in many cases, they suddenly had to pay six, $7 a gallon for gasoline to do it. So that's a pocketbook issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, those two examples are just making me think about what's happening right now in Europe here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're reaching, you know, you know, over, um, you know, 40 degrees in, in Spain, Croatia, the fires in Portugal. And so you're right, right. it really does. So right. um, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the economics of climate change, but we're going to take a first, uh, take a short break first, Bob. Um, and when we come back, we can talk about that. And for our listeners, our guest today is Bob Keefe, and he is the author of Climanomics, and that book is available on Amazon, and it also has its own website, www.climanomicsbook.com, and he is also the executive director of E2, and E2 is a national nonpartisan group of business leaders, investors, and professionals from every sector of the economy who are advocating smart policies that are good for the economy and good for the environment. And they have more than 10,000 members and supporters. Now, if you'd reach, want to learn more about E2, you can do that on their website. That is www.e2.org. And if you want to read out to Bob, he is on Facebook under Bob. Bob.Keefe90. He is on LinkedIn under Bob Keefe and on Twitter also under, you can reach through E2, reach out to Bob through E2 on Twitter. And with that, we're going to take a short break. But before we do, this broadcast is also brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda holds virtual trainings, conferences, market research, and legislative white papers focused on digital. Uh, They also have conferences, and their next conference is in October 16th to 18th in Florence, Italy. And if you'd like to learn more about Cinda, please go to www.cinda.com. And with that, we're going to take a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking with Bob Keefe. And Bob is the author of Climatonomics. And the book is Climonomics, Washington, Wall Street, and the Economic Battle to Save Our Planet. And you can also find Climonomics on Amazon as well under its own website, www.climatonomicsbook.com. So, Bob, you know, before the break, we kind of talked about um, uh, your group, E2, and and the book. And we started to talk about the economics of climate change. And, and your example... Um, of the the guy in Oregon is a, a per, is an absolutely perfect example. So, um, you know, how do you convince people that climate change is really an an economic issue? Well, unfortunately, Kimberly, it's it's becoming easier to do that. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> I mean, look, in in the United States alone, last year, uh, we had 150 billion dollars from climate damage, wildfires in the West. So many hurricanes on the east coast of the United States that we ran out of names for them. Uh, fi- uh, flooding and drought in our nation's heartland that today is drive- helping drive up the price of everything from cornflakes to chicken that consumers uh, pay for at the grocery store. Uh, now, $150 billion is a lot of money. That's, that's more money than the gross state product of about 15 U.S. states. It's 50% higher than the amount of climate damage that the United States suffered just one year earlier. Uh, but that's only part of the, the part of the tip of the iceberg, if you will, uh, of the economic cost of climate change, Kimberly. Here in the United States, those fires, that flooding, those hurricanes have caused homeowners insurance, for instance, to, to rise significantly. Homeowners insurance is up 40%. Uh, over a decade's time, for instance. Um, the cost of crop insurance for farmers in the United States has increased by $27 billion. That's money that taxpayers pay for, not necessarily farmers completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, look at simple things, or not simple things, but horrible things like what happened in 2018 in the United States when we had back-to-back hurricanes and flooding that hit three major military bases in the United States, caused something like almost $10 billion worth of damage, flooded 70, 80% of housing units, other buildings, destroyed planes, uh, hurt our military readiness uh, across the United States. Taxpayers have to pay for that. So the costs are going up uh, both in our homes, uh, in in our bank accounts, and nationally, as a country. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. I just was watching Bob on 
the German TV um, today. It's the anniversary of the floods here, right. and they were they were they were they were showing some of the areas that are still, you know, the infrastructures are not there. You know, um, the businesses are still gone. So, so you're right. But my my a question is, you know, we have all this going on. We all know that, you know part of this is you know these the hurricanes the flooding the wildfires i mean it's obviously due with environmental issues but you still need to convince people that okay it's crazy, they, they, isn't it yeah i mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean can you can you how do you do that i mean do you still run up against walls sometimes well yes um and they're ideological walls frankly not common sense walls i think mm -hmm. um but look, when people realize that climate change is no longer just something that's happening in the Arctic, it's no longer something that's happening on some faraway island in the Pacific. It's happening in our own backyards and it's happening in every part of the United States and every part of the world. As you mentioned, the flooding in Germany, mm -hmm. uh, the heat waves across Europe right now. Uh, those, those costs for those things add up, both in getting those businesses, those homes back in order in Germany, uh, they they cost they're they're costly when we have to turn on a, a air conditioners and fans and other equipment uh, because the heat is so high in Europe mm. and across the United States. the The impacts go far though. You know, here in the United States, in the state of Kansas, a couple of weeks ago, thousands of cows, cattle, literally fell over dead from heat stroke. Uh, put something like $4 million worth of losses or ri at risk for farmers in that state. Cows aren't supposed to die of heat stroke, but we're also not supposed to be uh, as hot as we are uh, on this planet. And we've got to do something about it. Mm -hmm. So what, Kevin, what role do businesses and investors play as we start to, to, you know, to play in this climate change puzzle? Well, that's great. So we're getting to the good stuff, which is what I love. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, first of all, we have to realize that businesses are feeling these impacts as well. And just like any other impacts to their bottom line, they have to do something about it. Um, right now, a lot of companies are uh, paying more attention to where they're putting their factories, they're putting their offices, they're putting their, their, many, their plants and distribution centers. Uh, they don't want to be in the eye of a hurricane or having to worry about wildfire in their backyards uh, every, every year. But they're also driving a shift to cleaner uh, energy resources, Kimberly. Mm -hmm. if, if you look at every major technology company, for instance, in the United States, uh, which, by the way, are some of the biggest private users of electricity in the world, really, to run data centers and things like that. Every one of them is shifting to uh, clean energy, 100% clean energy. Why? Uh, sure, it's the right thing to do for the planet and it's a good idea, but mainly it's because they're saving money. Solar and wind right now is the cheapest energy available in just about every part of, of, of the world. Companies like Google are, are cutting their electricity bills by 60, 80% by shifting to clean energy, to solar, to wind. You're starting to see more companies and consumers, of course, in the United States and beyond shifting to electric vehicles. Why? Because they're better, because, but also because they're cheaper to operate in the long run. And especially with gas prices where they are now, they're a lot cheaper to operate in the short run as well. Mm -hmm. The same is true for energy efficiency, the simplest form of clean energy. Uh, 
companies and individuals alike can save significant money by doing simple things like shifting to LED lighting or high efficiency HVAC systems or heat pumps, et cetera. And they're increasingly doing that. And and Bob, when you're working with legislators and you're working with companies now, um, as this shift is going, do you, you know, of course, the gas prices, we all know that the war in yeah. the Ukraine, I mean, it, you know, we're at two, two euros five a liter here in Germany. OK, um, what do you think this bad? Because, of course, the war in Ukraine is a, is a horrible tragedy. Do you think this might help shift us to be more aware and shift us in a, in a good direction? Do you might um, do you think it's going to help? make this a little bit faster, shifting to clean energy? Well, hopefully folks will, including our lawmakers, will realize that it's not a good idea to remain forever shackled to uh, world oil markets that are controlled by despots and dictators Mm -hmm. uh, who dictate the price that we all have to pay at the pump. Um, The good news is now, uh, and this, this wasn't the case before really, Kimberly, The good news now is that the technology is finally caught up with the problem. As I mentioned, solar and wind is the cheapest power available right now in just about every single market. That wasn't the case 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Electric vehicles uh, are every single automaker in the world is shifting to electric vehicles now. Uh, And these aren't the electric vehicles of 10 years ago or 20 years ago when they were uh, not cost effective uh, and they didn't work so well. And frankly, they didn't look so great either. Mm-hmm. Um, energy efficiency, you know, look at the LED lighting, for instance, that has come on, uh, that, that is now the dominant form of lighting. A simple thing like a light bulb. Uh, we're able to reduce energy usage from lighting by 90% just by shifting from incandescent bulbs that we've all been relying on for 100 years plus to LED lighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that saves money. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I, when you say LED, I remember um, I built a house in the U.S. Uh, about 14 years ago and I'm, and we brought the LEDs from Europe and everybody was looking at them. What are those? <laughs> okay. right. so, so, right. But but you, let's just, you talk regularly. Let, let's focus on the U.S. You talk regularly yeah. with lawmakers in D.C. Okay. And yeah. state capitals. How, how are they thinking about this clean energy issue? Well, they're, they're starting to think about it differently. Uh, and they're starting to think about it differently because, again, those costs, but also the opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the United States right now, there are about 3.2 million people that work in clean energy in every single state in the country. Yes, those are solar and wind companies, but they're also the energy efficiency workers that install those LED lighting systems or build them or make Energy Star appliances, for instance, in factories in the nation's heartland. That sort of thing. And increasingly, Kimberly, those and and what makes me somewhat hopeful is that increasingly those jobs uh, and remember what I said about politicians and what they love the best, in addition to kissing babies, those jobs (laughs) are going into places that they didn't go before. Uh, If you look at where all of the electric vehicle manufacturing is or a lot of the electric vehicle manufacturing is going in the United States, for instance, it's not just Detroit anymore. It's not just the Midwest. These companies are moving to Kentucky, to Tennessee, to South Carolina. Uh, Texas right now is the number one wind state in America, the number one state for wind energy. 
Um, and, and these are states that traditionally have been run by conservatives who didn't uh, necessarily uh, think that highly of clean energy. Now, these are creating jobs in their backyards. In the state of Kentucky, for instance, the home of the Senate minority leader here in the United States, Mitch McConnell, there are more people that work in electric vehicles than work in coal. Um, and, in, and the rest of the country is following suit as well. That's going to make a difference. Uh, that's a, Texas just surprised me. I learned something today. Um, uh, on <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, that was, yeah, that was that last last state I would expect. Okay, so that's right. And the number two state for win, by the way, is Iowa, which was run by the longest serving Republican governor in the history of the United States. Wow, no, that's cool. But you know, so it's really good to hear that you know this is happening in this way. But. Um, I, we have a lot of international listeners also, and over the last couple of years, there there was always a little bit of a frown on on U.S. policies. Okay, um, uh, okay, maybe a big frown domestically <laughs> as well. Just for the record, okay, not a big frown, a little frown. So, I mean. Uh, you think that's changing and the U.S. Is, is kind of waking up? And I mean, Germany is to the other extreme. OK, right. um, you know, um, sometimes I think here in Germany, we go a little bit too overboard. But um, do you think do you think that international cooperation or collaboration and point of view is coming closer t together now or is it still so polarized? Well, I think I think and I hope it's it's coming together, Kimberly, and. I say that because, again, just as climate change has moved from a environmental or a social issue into an economic issue, it's also has to be becoming less politically polarizing. Of course, there are always people who are going to be um, against progress, frankly, and mm -hmm. against shifting major incumbent industries. And, and I get that. Uh, but as, as I as I spell out in the in my book, Climate Nomics, um, businesses when businesses get involved and they do it from a bottom line issue, that changes everything. When consumers mm -hmm. get motivated because they can save money on their monthly electric bill or bypass uh, the gas pump in their vehicles, that's motivating, and mm -hmm. that is starting to change now. In the United States, just for perspective, uh, the, the the frowning that you mentioned <laughs> continues. Uh, we need to do a lot more as a country uh, if we're going to uh, presumably be a world leader. Uh, and that's fallen quite a bit. There was a study that came out from Yale and Columbia University a, a couple months ago, Kimberly, that showed that the United States, when it comes to climate policies and climate action, fell from 15 in the world, which isn't very good, mm -hmm. uh, in 2017 to number 101 in the world oh, wow. uh, when it comes to addressing climate change and climate policy. Mm -hmm. So we've got to do better uh, and we've got to do it uh, here in America um, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So I, I'd like to um, we're going to take a short break. And um, when we come back, Bob, I'd, I'd like to talk to you about that and see, you know, let's look at the positive side a little bit. What what are some of you know, ask you, what is some of the legislation that you've seen that has impacted positively? OK. And what yeah. whatever you've seen come now, if you'd like to learn more about E2, the organization, you can go to their website under 
www.e2.org. And for Bob, you can find Bob on Twitter under B Keith E2. And Bob is also on LinkedIn, and you can find him under Bob Keefe. And this series is also brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda holds virtual trainings, conferences, market research, legislative white papers focused on digital. Cinda holds conferences. Their next conference is going to be October 16th to 18th in Florence, Italy. And Cinda also has an e-learning platform in cooperation with Boss Capital for Startups, Boss Capital out of San Diego. And you can go to www.cinda.org for more information. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we are talking with Bob Keefe. And Bob is the author of Climatonomics, Washington, Wall Street, and the Economic Battle to Save Our Planet planet and this is available on amazon as well as available on the website www.climatenomicsbook.com and we've been we've talked um you know we've been talking about clean energy bob and and you know um you've given us some really good examples of of you know things that have happened and how we're getting people to understand that that you know, this environmental issue is also an economic issue. So I guess yeah. my question to you is, is, you know, um, what have you been seeing happening? Okay. I mean, how important is it for government to get involved and what happens when they don't get involved? Okay. Um, could, and legislation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, absolutely. And thank you for that, Kimberly. Here in the United States, at least, we we had a dearth in federal leadership on clean energy and climate change for four years. Um, we had a president that said climate change was a hoax and that uh, we needed to move our energy sources back to coal. That That's changed. Uh, that changed with the change of the administration. Fortunately, now that administration, to be frank, is is struggling getting its policies passed right now when it comes to these issues. But fortunately, we have governments at the state level, at the subnational level, uh, that are, are, are helping fill that void. Uh, here in the United States, California has long led uh, on clean energy and climate action. 
but we also have states like New York that just passed recently the most ambitious climate policies, the most far-reaching clean energy policies uh, in our country. Illinois, in the middle of the nation's heartland in the United States, passed uh, one of the most significant pieces of uh, climate and clean energy legislation uh, in the country that are moving the states toward 100% clean energy and reducing emissions, carbon emissions that, of course, exacerbate and drive climate change and the disasters that come with it. What 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 was one of the best legislations that you've seen passed recently that really is helping us move forward to clean energy? Well, uh, of course, at the state level, uh, as I mentioned, the states of California, New York, others have passed policies now to move toward 100% clean energy by 2030, by 2035, uh, in some cases, and. That's significant, and it's significant from a business perspective, Kimberly, because that sends the market signal to companies, to investors, that they ought to be putting their money uh, in the growth areas of the mm-hmm. economy, and those growth areas are clean energy. Um, so we we have to have those market signals. If we can't get them from a federal level, uh, then we need them from a state level. And while the Biden administration's policies, climate policies are, at least at this particular moment, kind of stalled in Congress, the federal government is still able to do a lot of things, as governments in every part of the world have. For instance, in the United States, uh, the, the U.S. government quite naturally is the biggest purchaser of any goods. That includes energy. That includes vehicles, I believe. Uh, And the Biden administration has said it wants to move government procurement to 100% clean energy. It wants to electrify all of US fleets. That's a huge market signal. That's a huge customer for those companies, uh, which in turn will only help bring down prices for the rest of us and make these technologies more available uh, to more of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we said bring down prices, which brings me to one of one of the myths or the, the roadblocks is sometimes is that, you know, people say that, you know, these policies are expensive and who will pay for them? So, you know, or how are you going to make this happen? So what do you, you know, how do you yeah. overcome this? Well, change, change quite often isn't cheap. You're exactly right. And they have a point. But what's really expensive are the costs of climate change that continue to rise while we can while we sit around and do nothing about it. Uh, think back to that number I mentioned. That was from the National Oceani- Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, here in the United States. $150 billion worth of damage to our nation's economy from climate disasters. Mm-hmm. Imagine if there were any other $150 billion economic threat to an economy like the United States. You can bet that politicians would be moving if, for instance, a foreign country was uh, siphoning $150 billion out of our coffers, or if uh, uh, something else was battering our economy at that level. They need to do the same thing with climate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you're right. And then we see one, another question, Bob, in the, in the technology, because you talked about new technology. Um, interesting enough, I I saw a 
a new kind of windmill that I've never seen in Germany. Um, the other day when I was driving up northern Germany, it was really cool. <laughs> okay, you yeah. know, and so I mean, what what role does technology play in this? You know, and and what kind of advances are we doing, and how how are you know the big technology companies helping support this movement? Well, first of all, Germany and and the rest of Europe has led on clean energy for a long time. So a lot of the back when the United States wasn't paying attention to it. So a lot of the technologies, some of those great technologies in wind and other areas are coming from Europe. They're coming from Asia. Uh, they're coming from China now. Uh, the United States invented photovoltaic cells, uh, but somehow we lost our edge and and um, and the manufacturing that goes with that. But technology is huge. And technology, as I mentioned earlier, is finally catching up with the problem. Um, and that gives me hope. That gives me real optimism. And I say that in part because, uh, Kimberly, I, I spent a lot of years as a technology reporter in Silicon Valley in the United States and, and other parts of the country. And I can distinctly remember sitting in a room with other journalists and Steve Jobs of Apple. And you probably remember this, but mm. Steve told us, someday you're going to have a thousand songs in your pocket. Someday you're going to be able to take pictures with your cell phone. And of course, as skeptical journalists, we all wrote that down and said, yeah, okay, whatever. This guy is nuts. <laughs> um, I, I remember talking to Jeff Bezos of Amazon and, and Bezos telling us in Seattle that uh, when he was just running a struggling online bookstore, someday you're going to be able to buy anything and everything off of our website, even dog food. And I always wondered why he was so fixated on dog food. Today. <laughs> but, uh, but that happened. I remember talking to the Google guys and them saying, someday you'll be able to find anything and everything ever written and digitized from any computer in the world. Well, 15 years ago, that seemed crazy. Uh, and as journalists, that's how we covered it. But I can tell you that uh, when I look at clean energy now, when I look at renewables, when I look at energy uh, efficiency, when I look at electric vehicles, those technologies are where those technologies were when I was a reporter 15 years ago covering those companies. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I, I've come to never underestimate the, the power of technological innovation and the power of economics and the power of businesses when it comes to um, making change. But we've got to get policymakers to make these things more affordable, more available to more people. That's where policy comes in. Yeah. And you say you're talking about innovation and um, and in the beginning, of the, in the beginning, in the first segment, you talked about your three daughters and and right. what you know and what. What I'm seeing here in Europe, um, which I don't know if you're seeing this as, is, of course, this Generation Z that's there now is really, really focused on clean energy. And we see a lot of the innovation, the technology are coming from these kids who are under 25. Okay, you know, they want the world to be better. Um, and they're trying to support these movement and trying to communicate to legislation, legislators. Do you see that movement in the U.S. also? Absolutely. In my organization, for instance, E2, we've got a program called our Emerging Leaders Program, which are essentially young entrepreneurs, young business people who have uh, who want to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And by the way, make a living doing it. 
And uh, that, that program has grown in leaps and bounds because you're right. The people who are inheriting this earth have a, a, a vested interest that's even greater than mine or yours or other people of our generation. Yeah. Uh, it's their future. Uh, yeah. And they recognize the opportunities that come with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, uh, that's really positive because it's really exciting when you when you talk to these younger people, the Generation Z, and see the movement. Um, and I and I want to ask you in a, I have one more question, uh, but a little bit off the, yeah. the path here, Bob, because um, you know we're talking about the the environmental change, and one of the reasons we're, we're seeing some of these these floods and these fires and stuff. Is is you know um, waste management exhaustion? Okay, um, um, I've traveled a lot through Asia. Uh, plastic, okay, just just the absolutely horrible waste situations in some countries. Okay, then you have other countries, and here in Europe, um, you know we have extremely hard recycling laws. Okay, H- how do we get this under control? I mean, and what's going on in the U.S. to to do some better waste management? Well, it's a huge problem. Uh, go to any beach in any part of the world and you're going to find plastic. Mm-hmm. And if you look close enough, you're going to find microplastic. Uh, the, we're, we're killing our oceans. We're killing our environment yeah. because of our situation and our being shackled to plastic stuff we can use one time and throw away. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's That's got to change. Um, Fortunately, again, we have some subnational actors and uh, subnational governments and and others who are starting to make good strides with that. For instance, in California, where I am, uh, the governor just signed a couple of weeks ago a, a major piece of state legislation, which is the which is America's most far-reaching restrictions on single-use packaging, single-use plastics. It's going to uh, cut at least thirty percent of plastic items sold in the state by 2028. Wow. Uh, by 2032, that number rises to about 65% and it continues to go up from there. So that's going to essentially require the businesses that purvey those plastic items to stop using them and to shift to something else. And that's really what we need to do. We, you know, it's, it's great to have recycling programs, but we know recycling programs 90% in many cases of what's thrown in a recycling bin doesn't actually get recycled. Mm. We've got to stop the problem at the source, uh, which is a reason that my organization, E2, and, and other business groups were actually supportive of this legislation in California. That that that's that's a really positive move forward. But I think California has also been kind of always on the cutting edge of of environmental, you know, well, it, it, it is, and it's important to remember that California is by far the biggest state in the United States, and it, and uh, uh, alone, it's the fifth biggest economy in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when the fifth biggest economy in the world starts to move, um, it, it brings people or other countries and subnational governments along with it. <laughs> yeah. So, Bob, you know, looking forward, you know, we're here, we're in, tw- you know, half the year's over now. Okay. We're coming up to 2023. Right. Um, and we've, you know, had a very difficult year. We're having environmental issues here in Europe. You said um, in the U.S. We have the war in Ukraine. If you're, if you're looking at the next six months, okay, um, and working with E2, what do you think? 
that the most important things to focus on um, in the next six to 12 months are? Well, the most important thing, of course, I, I will always say, or until we get it right, is focusing on the climate issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, and it's not just an environmental issue anymore. It's an economic issue. And the economy is at the forefront of everybody's mind right now. Mm-hmm. Um, with the right policies in place, as I mentioned, the technology is there now. The desire from uh, the public is there now. The public wants cleaner energy. They want cleaner beaches without plastic uh, and an environment that isn't polluted by plastic, for instance. Um, But we've got to move the policy in the right direction to make that clean energy more affordable, more available uh, to more people. We've got to move policy in the right direction to address our other environmental crises, including plastic pollution. but again, to me, what's what's optimistic is the technology, in the case of clean energy, at least, is caught up with a problem. The realization of the problem of plastics uh, is becoming uh, more commonplace, uh, and more people are aware of that. But we've got to make lawmakers get on board uh, and move these policies to make the change. Yeah. Uh, super last words, Bob, and thank yeah. you so much for the work you're doing and E2 do, is doing um, ex- extremely important for all of us and especially for the next generation. So, you know, thank you for the insights and thank you for being with us today and thank you for your work. Thank you, Kimberly. And for our listeners, we've been talking with Bob Keefe, and he is the author of Climate Nomics, Washington, Wall Street, and the Economic Battle to Save Our Planet. And that book is available on Amazon. I strongly advise you get it, and it's a very good read. And it's also available on its own books uh, website, www.climatenomicsbook.com. And E2 is available. Uh, you can find them on the web under e2.org. And Bob, you can find on LinkedIn under Bob Keefe. And he also has a Twitter handle, bkeefe 2 So please reach out to Bob and reach out to E2 for on. Thank them and offer your help because I'm sure you're always looking for more businesses and more executives um, to, to help support these causes, Bob, right? Thank you. Yeah. So uh, listeners, thank you for listening today. And this broadcast has all to to be by Cinda. And you can learn more about Cinda under www.cinda.org. Cinda is one of Europe's largest growing digital nonprofit associations. And they help with legislative white papers in Brussels. They also do trainings. They also have an e-learning platform for startups. So please reach out to them. They also have a conference coming up in Florence, Italy, October 16th to 18th. And you can learn more about that under www.cinda.org. And with that, thank you for listening this week. And please don't forget to tune in to us every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time. And thank you until next week. Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.